0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Naira Dusti about her story, The Little One, which appears in the most recent issue of The Common. Naira Dusti is an Iranian writer and translator based in Berkeley, California. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in Epiphany Magazine, The Massachusetts Review, and Noru's Journal, among others. She holds an MFA from Boston University. She was also an intern at The Common while an undergrad student
2: at Amherst College. Nayara Dusty, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Emily, for having me. It definitely feels special to be doing this with The Common after all these years, so I'm excited. Have you, you back here with us. Um, Would you set the scene for our conversation? Describe where you're calling from now. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm in Berkeley right now. I just moved in the fall or late August. And uh, I got some nice succulents outside, nice orange tree, lemon tree. I think it's like sour orange, which is nice because uh, when it had blossoms, I could sort of smell it when I didn't have allergies. Um, And yeah, it's nice. I got some nice dry flowers that I was not cool enough to dry myself. But um, uh, I got them from the grocery store, and they're pretty nice. So, yeah, and recovering from the recent thunderstorms. Got the sun out, finally. Oh, good.
1: Yes, yeah, (laughs) you've had some weather there for sure. Yeah. Um, I would love to start off with a reading from your story. Would you read the first few paragraphs for us?
2: Yes, sounds great. All right. Um, The little one. The baby would be fine, Saeed's wife said. As the family gathered around the dinner table for his special dessert, a beet cake with yogurt icing, and his home-brewed beer, Said agreed to watch the kids on Thursday so that his wife could have a day to herself. They were his grandchildren, too, after all. Although it was only his fifth day in the new country, he had already gotten over his jet lag, touched and kissed his family multiple times, and been given a tour of the neighborhood. He had also bought a road bike and signed up for a spot at the community garden. Now it was time to get acquainted with the grandkids. His wife, Goli, handed out plates, while his son buckled the baby in her reclined feeding chair. The baby had a fuzzy and soft textured mold that stretched behind her ear. It was harmless, but despite himself, Said found the look a bit nauseating. He made sure to sit across from the baby, blocking the brown lump from his view. What about the little one? Saeed's son, Cyrus, looked at his mother as she helped the baby put on a bib. The baby began chewing on the plastic sleeve, which her grandmother rolled up. Thank you for reading that. Uh, for our listeners who may not
1: have read your story yet, would you describe what, what you feel the piece is about?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a bit hard for me to summarize <laughs> my own stories, but I would say that it's about Saeed. Um An Iranian grandfather whose son sort of came to the States as as a graduate student and started a family and stuck around. And um, so throughout the years, his wife, the grandmother, has come to America to visit the family, see the kids. They meet up in other places in the world. But Saeed sort of has felt very strongly about um, not coming to America. And so he has never had a chance to see what his son's life in America is like. Uh, and then after a series of events, um, he decides to go and get a visa and come visit the family. And I think sort of throughout the story, he realizes that um, it's, in fact, harder to get used to his own family than the new country, basically. So, yeah, I hope- oh, that's perfectly said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks. Um, I've been lucky enough to read a few of your pieces. Um, I've loved all of them. I'm so happy that this one has its home at the Common. And I'm wondering what inspired you to start work
2: on it. Um, like, how did the first draft come together? Thanks, Emily, um, for your sweet words about about the story. So, I, I think, um, honestly, this is probably this this probably doesn't sound great about my writing process, but most of my stories don't really start with this some, like bigger or grand idea of a plot or, or um, some sort of message I want to get across. It often starts with like a scene I find interesting and fun to expand or or if i'm lucky with a character that i find interesting and then sort of the story um if i'm lucky organically grows out of that um so this one i think it's like a series of images and, and characters i wanted to explore um, and uh, i'll start with the most ridiculous one which is i started the story back in 2020 2021 like the height of the quarantine and sadly I was spending a lot of time on social media Mm -hmm. um, and Instagram which I don't have anymore thank God because i was spending a lot of time there and I just Mm -hmm. came across this Iranian woman older lady who just looked absolutely gorgeous and very young and sort of like you could you know she dressed like a 15 year old and I just (laughs) got so fascinated by how youthful she looked and Mm -hmm. obviously it's Instagram, and there's a lot of beauty there, and and I just was, like, spending a lot of time scrolling and just looking at her images, and I wanted to imagine, like, what the life of someone, um, could look like that, you know, outside, that sort of, that was one image, which, um, is, I think, ridiculous, and then the, the other two pieces, one, another, I guess, sort of funny moment was, um, I had an older teacher who once saw, jokingly, definitely jokingly mentioned that his wife is away and uh, he, uh, he's trying to figure out um, what to do for dinner and couldn't feed himself. And it was supposed to be funny, but that I thought it was like um, something there to work mm-hmm. with. And uh, I guess it made me want to imagine the life of, uh, of, of an older man uh, with the confidence that is unique to and men of of that age Mm -hmm. uh sort of navigating his life without without uh without a family um and then lastly and I think this is really truly the most important is that um I had a good friend who uh whose family had immigrated from Lebanon and they had this family legend going about uh, that everyone loved to talk about I think about um either a great-grandfather or a great-uncle who, who would just refuse to come to America. I mean, they're, they're, most of their extended family had settled here, um, and he would just refuse to come see either his extended family or just his own children here. He had a fruit stand uh, in a small town in Lebanon and would just say, this is my life. My life is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends are here. My fruit stand is here. I have no interest in coming to America. And I just thought that level of attachment... Um, to to a community more than I guess to some degree one's family was just I was very intrigued by it and it sort of became my legend too my my, you know I became invested in this in this story wanted to imagine what that would be like um, Mm -hmm. um, and what inspires that so sort of Saeed vaguely came out of all these images and I guess Saeed's wife as well and uh uh,
1: yeah that's so interesting so so Goli is
2: inspired by by the woman that you kind of saw on Instagram. Yeah, by, wife. by 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 an Instagram account of a, of a social media model, I guess. Mm. Uh, yeah, technically, but you know, just just some images. Yeah. I don't know anything more about that about that person. <laughs> no, that's so interesting, and I do love
1: you know your point about. The, the confidence of the older man sort of in his element and it's so great. That's why it's so great to see Said really out of his element and he doesn't have that same confidence or he tries to, but it doesn't always go, mm-hmm. go right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I think this story captures, um, the, the tension of that situation w- with such great nuance, you know, Said is trying to settle in. Um, he's sort of longing for his life back home, which he, you know, had a total handle on, knew how to do everything there. Um, and, and, you know, wants to be with his family, but also feels a little alien from them. And sometimes they kind of annoy him or disgust him. And I just think that's so fantastic. Can you talk about getting that balance right, that that complexity of his character and his desires?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, one thing that was interesting to me about this character is like it's he's exactly the opposite of sort of um, with with his attachment to his place and his lack of curiosity for foreseeing what the life that his son has established is like. It's exactly the opposite of what my own dad has expressed throughout the years. Um, My sister lives in the Netherlands and he's always wanted to come see what life is like for us here. And sadly, his visa um, has gotten rejected multiple times. So he's never really had, um, had a chance to see what our lives is like. And so it's just the complete opposite of that. And then I think to sort of bring out that tension and to imagine what it's like to have a community and sort of have that absolute lack of interest, um, bring out the tensions and the anx- anxieties that finally provoke him and encourage him to come. Um, to, to set that up, I chose the bike shop as a setting because I could just sort of imagine the sort of um, gossips and Mm -hmm. the sort of gossip and the sort of like environment that, you know, you get the hookah out and then you come and talk about so-and-so's wife and -and so-and-so's son who died and who got ill and who got divorced. And, and I thought that that could help me bring out the tension um, of like, these are his people. This is, it could really help me um, imagine a life that is, that is full and that is not lonely for an older person. Um, So, yeah, I, I think, that setting. And I did worry about it being maybe sometimes a bit cliche, but it's the setting that helped me um, bring out as much tension as I could and sort of pushing him to change his mind over time. That's really interesting.
1: I think one of my favorite moments in the piece is the conversation Saeed has with a Pakistani man he meets at the community garden. Um, it's really funny. Like it's tense, but it's really funny that, that they misunderstand each other. Saeed doesn't know what POC means. Um,
2: that it means person of color. Um, did you have fun writing that scene? Yeah, thanks. Um, no, I did, and I'm glad that that you found it funny. I, I when I try to write somewhat funny scenes, it's you never know if it lands or not. <laughs> but, uh, so thanks for that. I yeah. I okay. So frankly, I think part of it was just trying to. Play with this idea, or so explore, um, even if like in a very limited way, how um, drastically different racial formation and sort of the is, you know, in, in in that context in Iran and in America, and it that was maybe a little bit of myself in the story in. The, in learning how racial politics and everything else works in this country. And it took me more than a decade. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm still learning, yeah. but really, uh, I, and I just thought, you know, this guy is completely for I mean, I came around 17, 16, and I'm still sort of figuring out how uh, sort of, you know, that history and the politics of race work in this country. And, and, and uh, just imagine this guy who was so, into his own, his own sort of idea of his nation and um, how ethnicity and race works there, and sort of getting introduced to what how he is perceived here. And uh, I just wanted to have fun with his reaction to that. And then the, the bit with POC, and this might be embarrassing to share, it was actually from my own personal experience. I of only, course. As a junior at Amherst College, I learned the word POC, as a, at least the acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, I, someone invited me to a potluck and they said, you know, it's a POC potluck, you should come over. And I, and I, embarrassingly enough, went home and to my computer and looked up PLC and I realized uh, it's people of color. So I just, you know, it's a, it's a mm. moment that comes to my life a lot when I think about things I've learned about, about politics in this country. And, mm. and I thought it can in some ways capture or encapsulate, encapsulate the, the humor and the sort of the, the learning process of it in some ways.
0: Slash NBN 50 to get 50% off.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to make it sound like it's just a funny scene. Like, I think it's so um, fascinating. Like, the the man who's been in America identifies with Saeed because they're both what he calls brown, whereas Saeed, of course, is, you know, is Iranian, not Pakistani, and is like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not the same.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I had wanted a little bit of that sort of annoying. Yeah. What I. F- annoying sort of attachment to the, the you know greater iran and and uh whatever it is that iranians can sometimes perceive themselves at, and then um yeah i definitely was trying to have fun with that so i'm glad you uh you found it funny too no it's it's definitely i mean it's meant to be funny it's meant mm-hmm. to sort of poke fun at at this this attachment that sometimes um Mm, I see in not necessarily older generations in Iran either I probably went through that phase myself too but thank god I've grown out of it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's really interesting
1: uh, I'd love to hear how this piece has shifted from the first draft um, I, you know like you said you wrote it 2020 2021 so it's a long time ago I'm sure it's gone through some revision um, I don't think we did much revision with it. I think we did fairly minor revisions to it after acceptance but did, did you revise it a lot on your own
2: Um, so honestly, with this story, not too much, but it, I did spend a lot of time with the character in like (laughs) in in my thoughts, and and I think Mm -hmm. often it works better. I mean, I'm not against revising, I do revise a lot, but this is one of those stories where I, I thought a lot about, and then once I wrote it, I was, um, with the plot as a whole, I was. I felt content, um, at least at the time. I think, the, yeah, most of the revision came in you know, with happened with the language. I uh, I had this, and and that was uh, the common suggestion too. I had this ending where I wanted sort of the language to represent what Sayed was going through as he was running after his his grandchild and uh, I guess that's a spoiler. but uh, <laughs> And so I wanted, you know, he had racing thoughts and racing heart and he's just like, I want his sentences to be choppy and, and fast paced, but it didn't quite work. Um, and I'm glad I changed it. So yeah, I think that was the biggest part I changed and a little bit of the language throughout the story, but this one, um, I'm yeah, I don't think I had any major revisions. I would plot wise at least, but um. Mm-hmm yeah, this is what I remember more, more or less.
1: Do you have revision strategies that you return to or that you always go back to? I, I feel like I really don't have any and I just, every piece requires kind of something totally different.
2: No, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It helps when you have readers and, and they tell you, I have readers of friends I trust uh, whose who's writing I like. And I feel like um, it's best to get feedback from people who's writing you, you sort of, um, like as well because you can agree on certain things most likely so I I, I trust my readers a lot Um, but yeah like you said each piece is different so I feel like it sounds like I don't revise because on this one I didn't do enough but uh, it's not the case for sure
1: yeah I
2: think I usually
1: just end up writing my stories are always way too long so my revision is always sort of driven by the knowledge that it needs to be shorter and that helps me like (laughs) focus it. But if I ever wrote something that wasn't too long, I'm not even sure that I would know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So you did your BA here at Amherst college um, and worked for the common when you were here. And then you did an MFA at BU um, and now you're in Berkeley. What are you doing there? Um, Do you love California?
2: yeah um i honestly love it more than i thought i would which is good because i've spent most of my life in america on the east coast and uh and i was like it felt like a second big move almost like moving to a new country again but uh i actually love it i love that i can bike everywhere and uh, did you ask what I'm doing? Yeah, I'm doing a PhD. So I just started oh. my first year in like, Middle Eastern languages and cultures, specifically working with Persian literature. Um, so it's it's my first year. It's been it's been fun. No, I I I'm loving the Bay Area more more. Really, I, I'm surprised how much I've liked it. <laughs> Food is great, amazing produce. Yes. and uh, and uh, yeah, it's just nice. Yeah, we just got back
1: to- from. We had an event for the common in in Los Angeles, and it was my first time going to to l a and the food and the grocery stores and the flowers and the yards it was just <laughs> you know it's the dead of winter right now in Massachusetts, so it was <laughs> really wonderful it's. it's yeah. it, I always get annoyed that California really is as good as everyone
2: says it is <laughs> no absolutely it's it's nice here because it doesn't get the bay, It doesn't get too hot, so right i yeah. I like that balance. Um
1: oh that's great that you're doing a PhD. Um that sounds so fascinating. I mean I know that you do translation, you do translation from Persian to English and also from English to Persian. Um is that something you're you're sort of focusing on while you're studying?
2: Thanks. Yeah. Um sort of I have projects here and there. I I have some like exciting news about Persian to English translation that I guess I can't officially announce yet, but I have some something exciting going. That's so great. And and, and then I I just um had like two weeks ago the book came out. I, I translated um Alexander Haman's Book of My Lives into Persian. I did that also like in 2020 and worked on it throughout the years um with the publication date that got delayed over and over again as it happens because it needed a lot of revision. But it just came out two weeks ago and I'm very excited oh to. Gosh. I'm gonna go home in March and finally see a hard copy and bring one. So yeah, um, these are it, it. It took so long; it feels like I just finally finished it. Um, so that's the most exciting news.
1: <laughs> that's amazing! Wow! Congratulations!
2: Thank you. That's so.
1: Cute. I am so excited that you're going to be able to see it at last. Um, I've been at the Common for about eight years, so I've seen a lot of interns sort of pass through our office, our closet office, and our staff meetings. Um, and it's it's always really fun to see where everyone ends up. And I was so excited to see. Um, that you did this Persian translation of Alexander Haman's book um, because I remember you interviewed him for the Common in <laughs> 2017. I think he, he came he came to campus and you sort of insisted that you needed to interview him. Is that what happened?
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. well, I actually think sort of helped bring him to campus. I oh, suggested awesome. him to the, um, I, I forget what series it was, it was a reading series, and I suggested him. I met him in Bosnia when I was a sophomore at Amherst and I got some money to go there because I was fascinated by the history of former Yugoslavia mm. and almost gave me money and so it helped so I spent mm-hmm. the summer there and when I was in Sarajevo he came he had just started a book festival called Bukestan. he gave a talk and and then I became interested in him read his his um I'm not sure if you could call it a biography it's like a mm-hmm. collection of essays personal essays um and I think especially at that age, it really had an impact on me because I was still trying to get used to life in America and, and I wasn't allowed to visit home that often because of the limits of my visa at the time. So it, it was a very difficult... I mean, I wasn't technically an international student, but it, it felt like sort of immigrating at a young age because I wasn't really going back and forth a lot. And I think his book, especially at the time, was very approachable to me. It sort of... Um, Talked about, of course, immigration and like getting used to life here, and and also like American politics and whatnot in a in a way that felt very, uh, that was very funny. He's a very funny guy, but then also very easy to understand for me at that age. So I I, I really connected the book, um, and yeah, and so he, he came to emerson I wanted to interview him. I honestly am not. I would have obviously been six years and six seven years I would have done the interview uh very differently if I were to do (laughs) it now. I haven't looked back at it (laughs) yeah yeah I'm not quite uh proud of it but you know I was much younger Mm -hmm. um and yeah it feels really special too um I didn't think you know interviewing him at at like 18 or so I'm not sure how long it's been or how old I was exactly but uh that I would be translating his book but he was very sweet and generous when I wrote to him I thought I wanted to start getting into translation more seriously and then I had this I, I talked to this publisher at home and they were like all right tell us like what suggestions you have and I just felt like if that book really helped me through a very difficult time uh and it just made sense to for that to be the first book i translated at the time he hadn't been translated into persian that much maybe only one of his books um, but now it's been uh you know in in the past seven years more of his work has been translated into persian and published in iran but it still feels special to do you know specifically translate that book
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I do have memories of you sort of getting into translation, sort of maybe the second half of your time at Amherst. So it is, it's just magical to see, yeah, this coming together. Thank you. Um, That's so great. So, usually the last question we ask people on the podcast is what's coming up next, but it sounds like you have secret news you can't tell us yet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it sounds, and now it makes it uh, sound maybe bigger than it actually is. But (laughs) I am also writing. I'm, I guess, the biggest thing is important to put it out there. I'm looking for an agent. (laughs) Oh, okay, great. Um, And I, you know, I, I just have realized that I'm a short story writer. And I'm writing short stories here and there. I've attempted novels, like probably three. And I've just realized I'm just not a novelist. I really Mm. am not. It's just not the form that works for me. It's not the form I have fun with. Or not that writing is always fun, but it's just... Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to you know you finish the MFA, and for the MFA bashers out there, I did love it. I went into it because I needed a visa, and I I ended up loving it actually. And who doesn't want to get paid and and write and get their pieces workshop? So yeah, you know what MFA bashers, get over (laughs) yourselves. It's it's like something every time I tell people I did an MFA, I have to hear their take on it, and. getting quite tired of it, but... it's uh. so funny. I just feel like these things just ebb and flow
1: in the literary world because like, when I started at the Common and when I was started writing, I felt that I was so insufficient because I didn't have an MFA and everybody was like, you have to get an MFA. And now the pendulum is swinging back and you know. people are burnt out on MFAs. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, don't listen to anyone like... <laughs> Everybody needs something different, exactly. and what we what we all mostly need is time to write. And an exactly. MFA is exactly that.
2: <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly my take too. Um, but yeah, so I uh, I. You know, and once I did that, I've just like you know the next step is I guess I'm trying to get more pieces out there and get an agent. And I just you know they often express that they're interested in the novel, and Mm. then and then I just try writing more of it, and it just doesn't feel right. So I, but it's hard. It's hard to be uh, when it comes to publishing, taken seriously when you when you work most of the short stories. But um, so it's all to say I'm writing short stories and but uh, and struggling to write novels that i don't think are are uh my thing to do <laughs> mm.
1: yeah or eventually you, you know the, the thing might come that you are excited to write a novel yeah though.
2: maybe it's true yeah
1: it's true it's not something you should do unless you're excited about it because it is so long <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
1: well Nayari, thanks so much for joining us it's been really great talking with you catching up um talking about this beautiful story that you wrote for the common
2: Thank you so much, Emily. It was lovely to talk to you.
1: Listeners, you can read The Little One and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononline.org.